1: This is ArsCast Extra.
0: Hello, and welcome to another ArsCast Extra as always with James from
1: Gunnerblog. James, a badly morning to you. Badly morning to you too, Andrew. I'm having terrible nightmares at the moment. Uh-oh. I don't know if it's these badly mornings. Right. Last night, I I dreamt that my dog had to be uh had to go away it did something bad or something that was non unclear Mm. in the dream okay and it it, we replaced it with a robot version of our dog so it it looked quite similar to our dog but it was a robot okay Uh, and go on well there was good and bad to that situation you know behaviorally it was a lot easier Mm. um you know, she f- followed orders with a lot more clarity uh, and precision. Right. But I had this nagging feeling throughout of like, yeah, but ultimately you're just a robot, you know? Mm. It was like, it could be a sci fi movie. Well, I, it? I know what this is, basically. Do you want me on. to explain this to you? Yes.
0: Okay, so I I I think this is yet more evidence that our consciousness consciousnesses exist on many planes. The right. parallel universe theory and all of that kind of stuff where I think dreams allow us to cross over into those parallel universes and what you have is an alternative version of the future. Mm. Or the present, as it could have been had other things happened and led us to that point, so at some point, there will be robot dogs, and they 'll look like dogs and they 'll act like dogs, but they will be soulless mechanical creatures, and essentially, what has happened is that has all got jumbled up somewhere, come out in dream form, and there you
1: go that 's it. I tell you something that is really weird is that i was um, I had this dream last night about <laughs> robot dogs, yeah, right. And then this morning uh, I went out and I had a uh, radio on in the car. And um, there was a thing about robot dogs on the radio, about saying that these scientists have created these creatures that have got four legs that are robots. And there's been this study where basically if people kick these robotic creatures with four legs, um, it upsets people. They get kind of emotionally invested because they look a bit like animals, even right. though they're clearly robots. It's that not, is a big coincidence. It's not yeah. coincidence. Not coincidence. It's just a melding no, it's just of me seeing the future. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's just everything sort of swirling around, like the old glitch in the matrix stuff. You know, things that happen and right. you've got no possible explanation for it, other than just the universe is fucking with us. Like where you 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 can't find your keys. You look for your keys. And then they're back where you look for them in the first place. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, that, I
1: mean, that is, that does happen a lot. Suspicious amount. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you think that's what happened yesterday at Nottingham Forest? We got a really shit version of Arsenal from a parallel dimension, and for ninety mm. minutes, this particular iteration of Arsenal that exists in another dimension usually was present and playing football or trying to play football and unsuccessfully. Um, Not making it past the third round of the FA Cup.
1: Maybe they were all replaced with robots, Andrew. Oh, that could be it. Someone should kick them and see
0: how people feel about it.
1: (laughs) I think they'd be quite pleased this morning. Um, Give them a good kicking. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, maybe that is what happened. Maybe that is what. Maybe that's what my dream was was trying to explain to me. Maybe so. Who knows? But yes, it wasn't. Well, I'm glad we had this chat. Thanks for joining us on the Ask Us this week.
0: (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In another dimension, this podcast goes on for about another 85 minutes. So, uh, unfortunately, you're not in one of those. Okay. Well, for the people who are still listening, (laughs) shall we talk about the football? We should talk about the football. Okay. Um, I don't know where quite to start with this. Because the beginning, Andrew. The beginning is always a good point. I. I how do I put this? Like, I, I want to talk about this game in isolation because, look there have been positive things of late we took positives from the defeat to Manchester City I think there's a generosity towards the team and the manager and the way we've progressed since those opening three games of the season you know that everybody I think most people understand we're in the top four that's good so if uh, you know I go a little bit off reservation in this particular podcast it isn't to undermine or to suggest that none of that is true it's really just to comment on what we saw yesterday and I think you can do that and I think you can be critical of that if you're willing to give out praise when we've played well but haven't won a game I also think it's fair to be critical of a game where we didn't play well and didn't win and also went out of a a competition which I think is an important competition whether people agree with that or not I think it is Um, and it was very disappointing to go out uh, at the the first hurdle if you like so Definitely, with all
1: we're not accustomed to. Yeah, unless we're playing Um, Nottingham Forest. Um, Unless we're playing Nottingham Forest, and we should remember that in future. We didn't speak enough about that (laughs) before when the draw was made. But um, I think it is worth talking about in some depth Um, and in isolation too, because it is—it's an isolated competition. You know, it's a different competition. Mm. It was a very different type of opponent and a very different group of players on the pitch. Yeah. So it was very much its own beast, but what a horrible beast. <laughs> <laughs> it was a particularly loathsome
0: beast. Yes, I agree. Mm. It was just not good. There was literally nothing positive to take from yesterday's game, which is, you know, it's hard to take because you're you're looking for look, cup ties and the FA Cup as we know has often um, or have often thrown up surprises and shocks and difficulties and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. There have been shocks in the past. Arsenal have lost to lower league teams in the past. And it's been unpleasant and also horrible beasts. But yesterday, I think, was more about... Us, then, let's say, Nottingham Forest really rising to the occasion. I don't want to take anything away from them. Fair play to them. They won. They're in the next round. Congratulations. uh, And uh, all of that kind of stuff. But I don't necessarily think that Forest were brilliant on the night. They didn't really cause us too many problems. I know Bernd Leno had a couple of saves to make, one from a free kick, one from open play. But really, we had more of the ball. We had more of the territory. It was really just about what we did or didn't do or failed to do in terms of our own performance. And then we got sucker punched with a late goal, um, which felt like it was coming and it was no less than we deserved, etc etc et cetera. So I, I do think that the focus on this isn't really about the opposition as much as us. Um, well,
1: yeah, and I, I, inevitably on, on this show, but I think that is right in the context of the game. And, and actually when they scored their goal, it was a real sort of course. I mean, That was the way they were going to score in the game. Arsenal Hmm. essentially giving possession away when they're heavily committed up the field and paying the price on a counter-attack, and that's exactly what happened. Um, You mentioned Bernalillo making a couple of decent saves, and that's substantially more than we got their goalkeepers (laughs) to do. So I think, you know, the full the fault is definitely with us.
0: Okay, so team lineup. I, I think it was inevitable that he was going to rotate a bit for this. And there were some enforced absences. Um, Tommy Asu and Smith Rowe injured. We know that there are players who've gone away to AFCON. Granit Shaka and Flo Balagoon missing because of COVID. Um, so it left us very, very light in midfield. And mm. while I think... In general, Mikel Arteta spoke quite well about Maitland-Niles and the decision to allow him to go on loan. I do wonder a little bit about the timing of it. Like, did it have to happen before this game? Was it absolutely necessary? And look, I'm not saying Ainsley Maitland-Niles would have made the difference yesterday. I don't think even at his very, very best, he would have been capable of carrying the other nine outfield players who were, you know really not that great. Nobody played particularly well. So it's not that. I just wonder about the messaging of that decision. When you're going into a game, there is... uh, I don't know how to assess the risk of Granit Xhaka and COVID because we know back in September he wasn't vaccinated. We don't know if he is in the meantime. But even so, an injury or a suspension to... uh, Sambi or to Granit Shacker was going to leave us very very light in midfield. Charlie Patino is a very very promising young player, 18 years of age. He will benefit from the experience of this ultimately mm-hmm. because you know when you make your first uh, you your full debut, you start your first game, you know, it's going to be a learning experience. So I don't want to be critical at all. And I'm, I'm making that very clear. I'm not being critical at all of Charlie Patino, but it just showed me that he's really not quite ready for this level yet. So would you have any concerns about that or do you think the Maitland-Niles deal, it was going to get done, and even with the players we had missing, even without Maitland-Niles, what we had on the pitch yesterday should have been capable of doing better and winning a game against Nottingham Forest with all due respect to them?
1: Well, look, the eleven we put out could and should have won that game if they had played to their potential. That is, I think, certain. Um, as for the midfield and the maitland niles thing, I would be curious to know what the order of events was in terms of ratifying the maitland niles to roma move mm. and discovering Granit Xhaka's uh, COVID... Uh, what's the word? Diagnosis, you know? Yeah. I guess the wheels were probably in motion by that point anyway, but, you know, it it, it is a substantial blow. Um, The Maitland-Niles thing, I I think, is very difficult to get your head round. It's curious, isn't it? Because at the end of the summer window, Maitland-Niles very publicly wanted to go to Everton, uh, spoke about it on Instagram, you know, put that little statement out. And actually the attitude of, my perception is, the attitude of most fans at that point was, let him go. He wants to play football. He's been held against his will. You know, mm. because, the, because Arsenal were a target for everything at that point in time. It was like, this is awful. You know, he's an academy player. Let him go and fulfil his potential somewhere else. Mm. And then we get to January and it's like, keep him at all costs. Um, that's football for you, I guess.
0: Well, but I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I suppose, I suppose in the summer, we knew we had more options in central midfield than we do right now.
1: That would be. We did, yeah. yeah but we, we, did. Al- we also had a situation with Thomas Party having an un- unanticipated injury, um, Granite Shacker being suspended, I think, at that point of time. So mo- there was a logic to keeping him then. And I think it was the mm. right decision. What I don't quite follow is letting him leave quite so early as we have in January. Yeah. Clearly, there must be an element to that that we don't understand in terms of a promise that was made or he's made it very clear he doesn't want to play for Arsenal anymore. I mean, I'm speculating, but there's no logical reason to say we've got to do this deal as soon as the January window opens. It's bizarre. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did it, it it seems
0: to be for the benefit of the player, which on one hand you could say is commendable and admirable that you know you're 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 allowing a player to leave when realistically we know that his long-term future is not going to be at Arsenal. He's got an opportunity to go. You know, we're 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 looking after him, but at, this, at the same time it's come at a cost to us as a team, as a squad. It's benefited Maitland-Niles, it's benefited Roma, and it left us in a position last night where we had to play a player who's not ready. So yeah, yeah I think you're yeah, I'm curious about
1: that decision making too. It's, it's weird because we're supposed to talk about the game, but this is sort of a bigger conversation. But I think the, the trouble is that we are in the real crunch bite point in terms of when our depth is at its thinnest. And it's going to be like this. It was always going to be sort of this fortnight in which we were really tested because, because of AFCON, mm. basically. And that's been exacerbated by Maitland-Niles and by... Shaka. Um, Shaka. But I, I think the thing is, like, everyone's sort of scrabbling now, like, we've got to get a body in, we've got to get a body in. But my feeling is that sort of like the the mistake has already been made in that if we were going to get somebody in, it should have been at the start of this period. Uh-huh, and, yeah. And, and maybe should have entailed not letting Maitland-Niles go. I sort of feel like um, now we're in this boat. I mean, we we ain't getting a new player by Thursday. It's yeah. just not going to happen. So, yeah. So, so I suppose all I'm saying there is I think a mistake has been made, but it's sort of already been made. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, he did oh, talk.
1: Well, yeah. Sorry, go on. Well, no, I just think I, I'm calling it a mistake, but I guess it's a decision. It's a decision, but a decision can be
0: a mistake, and much yeah. will depend then on Shaka, on whether he's fit and available for for Thursday or for Sunday. Um you know, we don't quite know whether he's just got it and not feeling any symptoms or if he's got symptoms or if for example, if he remains unvaccinated, perhaps he's more affected by it than somebody who would be Or has been vaccinated, that kind of thing. Mm. It can take quite a bit out of players. I remember in the you know a few months back, Newcastle talking about how some of their players are absolutely banjaxed from having it because they just couldn't get back to the to the right level. This is a uh, respiratory uh, illness as well, you know. So there are there are consequences for that. So look, I, Mm. I do think it's a strange one. Arteta was very upfront in his press conference last week, wasn't he, on Friday, where he said, we are short, we are going to move. I think that was very publicly um, making it clear that he needs a player in that position. But I just wonder if you have doubts or if you're unclear about when you can get that player in, is it wise to let somebody go who provides depth and some experience, like Maitland Nas is 24 now, so he's not a, a an ingenue or anything like that. You know, when you do have a cup semi final, and when you do mm-hmm. have a North London derby, that yeah. decision-making will come into sharp focus if the squad is completely stretched, and not unnecessarily so, but you've contributed to that in a way that you probably didn't need to.
1: Yeah, and as much as Shaka getting COVID, uh, it's not something that you know you can necessarily anticipate. We know the spectre of COVID is there, right? Players mm. are dropping out all over the place, so it could be Shaka, it could be Lukonga, it could be anybody, mm. um, and that's something that all squads have to contend with. And we we knew that too. Um, yeah, we've it had a few, really, haven't we, you know, in, in the last yeah, few weeks. Yeah, we've had Tommy Asu and a few others. So, I, I, and we've got others apart from Shaka at the moment. Balogun, I think, was was mentioned yeah. by the club. But, yeah, it is hard to get your head around the Maitland-Niles thing. Would Roma really have said, no deal, if it's, if if it was, it's so, you know, like a, a fortnight later? later. Yeah, yeah. Um, It does seem odd, a player who's been with the club since they were six, that you couldn't ring an extra two weeks out of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's a curious one. As for Charlie Patino, I was obviously pleased for him to get the start. I've I thought that you saw very clearly that it was his proper first team debut, and in some respects, I think an away game against a championship side is is tougher than a lot of other occasions for a player of his physicality and yeah. his youth. Um, I don't think it. I, I want to try and phrase this right, but I don't think it will be the worst thing for him if it slightly dampens the hype i agree yeah you I, know I, I agree. I, I, there's a lot of excitement which is great mm. but because of the social media age that we live in and the access to under 23 games that we have now that we didn't have previously i mean lord only knows what it would have been like for sesc or jack if they mm. had had that do scrutiny in those in that period but yeah i just think the hype is um, it's huge, yeah. and I, I don't know how helpful that is. I agree.
0: I agree. Um, you know, I think the point you make about the physicality is a really important one, because he's, uh, he's 18, and he's tall, and he's skinny, and he's got a lot of filling out to do and a lot of bulking up to do as he gets older. And yeah. he's playing against... You know, big men, championship uh, midfielders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he's you know, a young, eighteen, I think. To yes, be honest, yeah, Like he wouldn't get served in an off license, even if he had ID. <laughs> the guy just goes, no. no, 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 no. That's fake ID. You look about. 12. And that will come. You know, yeah, that of will come. Yeah, Eventually, able to get, get, get served. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> he'll be able to get some
0: beers at some point. But yeah, I, I, again, look. It's not to be critical of him. I think he tried hard. Uh, but, but it's hard not to think that midfield or lack of real control or or progression from midfield was a big part of why we didn't play particularly well
1: you know i I, Uh, yeah definitely i i think that was part of it so i think it was more than that by the way i just think that i think this game told us a bit about who's very important to the team Mm. in some ways and um if you think about when we play out from the back the way we build the game, the importance of Gabriel, mm. of the 2 fullbacks, you know, particularly on the right-hand side, Tommy Yasu, the two central midfield players. Because, in theory, our attack for the Forest game was pretty strong. You know, I know some would take or leave Eddie and Ketia, but the three behind, yeah, yeah. Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, they are absolutely first-choice players, and, and arguably some of our very best players, especially of late, mm. I just felt the issue was kind of... I mean, those guys didn't have an amazing game. I thought Saka had some really good moments, but the issue was that those guys just weren't getting the ball in dangerous areas often enough. It was behind
0: them. Yeah, by the time they got the ball, Forrest were there and organised and, and, you know, making it tough for us to to break it down. So it was how quickly we got the ball forward. I think, you know, that is a a key point to this game is the step down between some of the first-team players and... And our backups or, or reserves or, or whatever you want to call them. I mean Cedric and Tommy Asu, it's chalk and cheese. Rob mm. Holding was really really disappointing last night. I you know I don't think he has really progressed as a footballer. You know he's a he's a decent backs to the wall defender. Stick him in his own box. Tell him to make headers. Tell him to hoof the ball clear, and I think he'll do a good job for a lot of teams, but when you're asking him to come into the, into a side and not replicate per se, but, but um stand in for Gabrielle, who has been one of our most important players when it comes to touches on the ball passes week after week after week, he's near the top of the list. Holdings passing is just, you know, it's not great. It's speculative. Um By the time he, takes the ball forward a couple of strides, Forrest back off, sit off. They know that he doesn't have the accuracy. He doesn't have the range to hurt them. And you just end up playing uh, a lot of safety, uh, safety first kind of football, which is part of why it was difficult for us last night. Samby tidy on the ball, but didn't really do anything with it. We've mentioned Charlie Patino, So I think even to an extent, um, Leno, where he made good saves when he needed to make good saves. But one of the important facets of our our best play this season has been Ramsdale and how quickly he's got the ball forward, how how well he passes it. Those long balls, which can find Martinelli on the left-hand side, as you saw against Manchester City. Leno doesn't have that either. So there was a lot missing from, um, from what we usually have. And it's not to make any excuses because I do think those players pretty much every single one of them on the pitch last night was below par, was below what they're capable of. Whatever your expectations le- uh, expectation levels are for each individual, I still think some of them were below that. Like, I don't expect a great deal from Cedric, but what we saw last night was a lot worse <laughs> than I yeah. thought. You know, so uh, little things like even Saka, you know, who's much better than we saw last night, and Kedia Again, I don't have particularly high expectations for Eddie and Nketiah, but when Bakayo Saka puts in a good cross and he's got a header from six yards out, I expect him to head it and not just mm. kind of clatter it somewhere else with his nose.
1: Yeah, that was a bad miss. Um, it reminded me of the Everton one in some respects yeah. because Saka created the chance in similar fashion. I think... I don't think Saka had his best game, but that chance he created, the one he put across the box that Lacazette almost got onto, if we were going to do anything in the game, I think it was going to come from him. Mm. Um, I think the issue was getting him on the ball in the right areas often enough. Uh, but yeah, I think <clears throat> I agree with you. These players, the second choice ones, are worse than their first team counterparts. There's a reason they're second choice, but they're better than what they showed. Um they can all play better than this and they were poor. Mm. And I I agree with you about Rob Holding. Actually, I was really frustrated with uh, the way he distributed from the back. There were a lot of times where he sort of carried the ball over the halfway line and you could see him. When I watch Rob Holding at the moment, I almost feel like he's saying, kind of look at me. I can do this. I can do this. I know what you mean. It feels like he's showing like I can carry the ball. I can make forward passes, but he just doesn't do it as well as, say, a Gabriel or, or White when he's on his game. Um, and I, I don't say that to be disparaging. I think he's got his uses within the squad, but it's certainly a drop-off. Leno, that's a good point about distribution. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, I actually think if we're learning about where we do and ha- don't have depth, goalkeeper is somewhere where we do have some quality depth, I think, in that I think mm. he's generally a very good goalkeeper. Um Enketia is a it's a bad miss, really bad miss. Um I, I have to say I I know he's come in for absolute pelters. I thought that watching the game in the stadium, my impression was that he was really uh trying to inject some urgency and trying to make things happen. And that the shots, I think he had five shots in the game, generally came from his own mm. uh play, like and he was dribbling with the ball more than you're used to seeing him because nothing was really working. But He's there to take chances and that was a massive, massive yeah. chance to win the game and he missed it.
0: Yeah, he did have a good moment where I think he produced or won the ball in the box, created space for a good shot with his left foot, but, but smashed it over the bar. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. But yeah, look, it, it wasn't great. And I, you know, while we have all these questions about what's going to happen with our striker situation, you know, nights like last night and, and that that miss um, doesn't really do anything to convince me that that with six months left on his contract, we should be doing anything really to keep Eddie and Nketiah, to be honest. I I think, um, you know, he's had his chances, he scored some goals, he's a good lad, but it feels like it's time for him to go and for us to seriously address what is a key position and uh, I think a very pressing matter for this team because, yeah, maybe it's a discussion for another day, but you don't get top four without a striker. I don't think you get top four without a striker who can score you goals, and we don't have one, really, at mm-hmm. the moment. I know Lacazette's done good work, but doesn't really score goals. We don't know what's going on with Aubameyang. Uh, Eddie, we've just spoken about. So maybe that's a discussion for another day. I think we should move on and, and talk about uh, one of the key moments of the the first half, and that was the substitution of Nuno Tavares. Mm-hmm. And... I'd like your impression on it first because I've watched the first half again. I put myself through it again this morning and watched that first half, which was not much fun, I have to say, because the football was pretty turgid from both sides. But I watched it and I watched him closely. Um, So I'm curious as to um, your view because you were there and we had a little bit of a chat about it offline. You were there and... You weren't at all surprised by what happened,
1: no. Actually, if you <clears throat> if you so if you go back and look on Twitter, I think about three four minutes before Nuno was subbed, I tweeted saying Arteta's is going to make a change here. Um, it was very much in the off thing. and and I did think it would be Nuno. So my my feeling is that um, there was a bit of a focus issue, and that's complete guesswork on my part, but. It felt to me like a couple of things didn't go right for him early on. Mm -hmm. And then from that point, not a great deal did. And I know the eye-catching thing would have been something like the the back pass, you know, which went to Leno. Um, I don't think that was so much the issue for Arteta. Nuno was playing directly in front of him. And some of that in-game coaching was going on. And there was clear frustration from Arteta and his assistant not only with Nuno's use of the ball, but a lot of his off-the-ball work in terms of where he was uh, playing, where he was standing, if he was getting back quickly enough. And Kieran Tierney was the first Arsenal player sent out to warm up. Mm. And he sprinted out there in his uh, shorts and T-shirt, as usual. Mm. Um, and I and I did sort of see it coming. Uh, and, and I think that... I think they just weren't happy. It felt like he wasn't doing the work that had mm. been prepared, you know? Yeah. But I know that you had a different perception when you rewatched it. When game. I rewatched it, like, I don't, I'm not here to say he was good
0: or anything like that. But I, I, I made some notes here. So, one minute 39, the ball runs under his foot, goes out for a throw in. Yeah. Mistake, you know, but nothing particularly... I remember it, yeah. Hugely. Um,. Six minutes 30, he won a free kick high up the pitch and then picked up the ball after the the delivery came in. Ben White had a shot uh, with his left foot. Seven minutes 10, he lost the ball on halfway but got back in, chased back. Mm. Because I thought it might be that. I thought it might be, well, he's lost the ball and he hasn't shown enough effort to get back in. I didn't see that, not once. Um, Ten minutes 46 was the bad back pass to Leno. 13-22, 13-22, he won a tackle. Twenty-one 45, I'm just, you know, I'm only um, using moments here where he sort of did something that was um, out of the ordinary or, or whatever. Twenty-one forty-five, he made a really good interception, burst forward, got fouled, he got an arm in the face, and the referee played on. Yeah, I remember that. 26 minutes, a right-footed cross. Um, 27 minutes, which is maybe where I think something... Um, started happening. He lost the ball in the inside left position halfway up the pitch but chased all the way back and then when the ball fell to him, I think it was Lokonga who who intercepted a low cross, he booted it clear and the ball came back in and he was beaten by a man who crossed it, Cedric headed behind for a corner. Mm -hmm. 28.55, he's just outside the D in the attacking half. Eddie Nketiah has the ball out wide, Tavare's runs into the box and Kedia has a left-footed shot which goes wide. I think it deflected wide. So maybe that was part of it. It was like where he was playing. Should he be as the left back that high up the pitch? But I remember what was it was it the Newcastle game when Bukayo Saka scored a really good goal. It was a nice pass from Tavares. And we spoke about the difference between Tierney and Tavares as to where they operate on the pitch. That inside left channel uh, towards the opposition box. And we were saying, there's no way Tierney would be in there. Whereas Tavares was and some nice play brought about that goal for Saka. So I'm not sure it's completely out of his wheelhouse to be in there. No, no, I think that's one of the positive
1: things he brings for sure. And then...
0: At 30 minutes and 50 seconds, he tries to play a pass down the line to Martinelli. The pass is intercepted. Like It's not a a simple pass, but not a particularly difficult pass. But nor was it anything particularly... It wasn't like a huge mistake. Mm. That was 30 minutes and 50. And at 31 minutes and 6, you can see on the TV footage... Decision has been made. Tierney whips off his his bib and he's ready and waiting to come on for the sub, which takes another few minutes. So on the rewatch, like, I don't think Tavares was so bad that he had to make the change at that point. I really don't see what was so awful about his performance. Now, I'll happily... um, concede the fact that I've got no idea what Mikel Arteta was saying to him, whether he was instructing him to do things and he wasn't doing it, that would, that would make it a bit more of an understandable decision from Arteta. If Arteta is telling him one thing and he's doing something else, Mm -hmm. then that's, that's an explanation that we're not privy to. But based on what I saw, like it, it wasn't the kind of performance where you, where I was thinking, got to get this guy off. Like this is an absolute disaster. I didn't see that at the time. I didn't think he was good. I didn't see it at the time, and I certainly didn't see it on the rewatch. And I just wonder if that was a decision that could have been made at halftime, albeit, like I said, there could be stuff that
1: we don't know, and I'm only uh, basing this on what I saw on TV. It's so interesting, and I I guess it's a little bit about – TV versus live, because yeah. I, I'll admit, I was sat kind of behind Arteta on that side of the pitch. And I was thinking, this guy's having a nightmare. Wow. Yeah. And I, I, and I think I think some of my colleagues in the press were of the same mind, based on the conversations I had at half time. And I, like I say, I wasn't surprised when it happened. Right Now, is that bias because both I and Mikel Arteta are on that side of the pitch? watching him most closely you know if if that was Cedric in front of us would we have been saying he's got to get off yeah, by that maybe. point I, I it, it genuinely is uh, like I wonder if Arteta and I will both review the tape like you and be like do you know what he wasn't that bad mm. but in the ground and bear in mind I'm also watching it through the prism of seeing what he does and seeing the manager's response yeah. simultaneously I was thinking this is edging towards yeah 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 a substitution. I do think there are a couple of other things worth saying about it. It's a really interesting topic. So the first is that Arsenal were playing very poorly at that point in the game. And when you look at the left-hand side of the team, you know, it was holding Nuno, Patino, sort of in the build-up part mm, of the pitch. triangle, there. yeah. And that was quite weak, I think, on the day. And... When you look at the subs Arteta could make, Tierney, apart from Lacazette, Tierney was sort of the senior player Mm. who he could bring on to improve the team. Um, If he was going to make a change, it kind of had to be Tierney or Lacazette. And I, I guess he thought Tierney could bring more balance. The other thing worth saying is that Steve Cooper, the Forest boss, in his press conference, he was sort of talking about the tactics of the game. And he said, "You know, we had to make some adjustments at halftime because of Kieran Tierney." He said, "Based on what Tierney was doing, mm. I had to adjust my team talk at half time. which is interesting. Surprise! Because,
0: because um, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I, I yeah, I, I think it me may, maybe Tierney was asked to come on and do something different. Maybe it was less about Nuno and more about. Mm doing something different I don't know but Steve Cooper did say that which made me think well clearly there was something some distinction in what they were offering yeah um but nevertheless I, I always feel sorry for a player in that context it's uh it's deeply embarrassing
0: it is yeah and it's one of those where because its happened before halftime even being taken off at half time is a bit chastening to be honest. Mm. Like if if there was a real obvious lack of effort on his part, I'd understand. And I, I, we might as well make the point as well that when Nuno had a couple of bad moments in a game, was it? It was a game against Liverpool. He gave the ball away. He gave the ball away. And, and the there was of, a kept
1: faith with him. Didn't there was
0: it? an iffy one against United. Yeah, and he kept faith. You know, so. He's had, I think he's had worse moments than he did in this game. Like the back pass to Leno was casual and not great or or anything like that, and it was quite eye-catching. But, you know, Arteta has kept faith with him um, when he's had some difficult moments in the past. Mm. But it is one of those where when you're taken off before halftime, there are questions. What does this mean? Um, Like he was fairly keen to stress afterwards. He was just trying to improve the team, and I think you know your point about what he had available to him in order to change the performance was is is a good one like it was like i said then you have to take patino off and like mm. that's even worse when you've given an 18 year old a debut and you pull him off after you know 35 minutes that's not that's no good either maybe nuno as a more experienced player not not hugely but you know has got more under his belt than patino would be able to compartmentalise this a little more easily, even if he was obviously very frustrated by the decision, uh, threw his gloves down and all the rest. But, you yeah, know, he yeah. might have been frustrated at himself, at the decision. You know, you don't want a player coming off after 35 minutes and just going, okay, you know, it, it's understandable that they're upset. Um,
1: but I, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you on that. I think it could be as much with himself yeah. as anything else. But again, but yeah. Uh, yeah. That's just to say. I, I think that the back pass is a red herring. Like I, my perception in the ground was that it was sort of uh, a general carelessness. That was the word, actually, a carelessness. Wow. That, yeah.
0: I, I, again, like I didn't see it. I didn't see it on the on the rewatch. Mm. Like there was no. Horrendously bad pass that he made. There were a couple of 50 50s where the ball got away from him, a couple of passes, you know, where, um, you know, where maybe he could have done a bit better, but they weren't so terrible that you're going, oh, that's just meat and drink kind of stuff. And I was sort of looking at the stats. Um, I think he made more interceptions than any other Arsenal player, despite only playing half an hour. Mm. You know, he had three interceptions and a clearance. It wasn't like he just was ambling back and not trying. So I do feel for him a little bit. You know, like you, when it happened at the time, I was like, okay, you know, a manager has to make the decision he thinks is the right decision for the team and then deal with the consequences for a player. Um, and, you know, this is, this is something that could easily be... Um, sorted out with a conversation on the bus on the way home today at the training ground, whatever it might be, you know, he can say, look, I showed faith in you earlier in the season yesterday, just needed to make this change, didn't really work out, but, you know, I had to do something that I thought was the best thing for the team. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we put it behind us, we move on, we work hard, et cetera, et cetera. So it remains to be seen if there's any real fallout, but I do think it was just, um, it was, yeah, it's one of those, that's always a talking point when, when a player gets taken off before halftime.
1: Definitely. And I think, you know, the, the manager's making a decision live in the moment, aren't they? And and when you are in that environment, uh, your perception is different and, and it's affected by all sorts of things. Proximity, emotion, and maybe that factored in. And like I said, maybe he'll review the tape and be like, oh, that mm. was incorrect. Uh, I, I, I wonder, it's all about the response, isn't it? Yeah. It's all about... What follows. I had slightly, when Nuno you know, threw his gloves down, I was like, oh, oh no, no, don't no, do don't that. that. Yeah. yeah. Just because I remember Meza Ozil doing it, you know, to mm. Freddie Humberg and Arteta. What we know about Arteta is he's not the kind to sort of take to that sort of public show of dissent particularly well. Um, yeah, but as a manager, when, you do, when you're making that kind of a decision, you have to,
0: you can't ignore. How a player feels, even if you feel like that is the right decision, you know, he needs to put himself in the shoes of a player and think about how he would feel if that happened to him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To be honest, you know, he didn't throw the gloves at Arteta. He just threw them on the ground. It wasn't like he, you know, kicked fucking things all over the place. threw Took his shirt off, threw his shirt down. They're gloves, you know. At the end of the day, it's a very, very. Uh, insignificant show of frustration at the decision, his own performance, the team performance, whatever it might be.
1: It doesn't... It's not a huge deal, I don't think. Honestly, it wouldn't blow my mind if Nuno played on Thursday. It wouldn't blow my mind. Just because there is precedent in terms of, Mm. you know, wanting to give him another chance. I know this is a more um, severe situation, but Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Well, look,
0: Tierney came on. I'm not sure he made that much difference. The second half was pretty soporific. Lots of possession. Not a lot of movement. Plenty of Nottingham Forest behind the ball. You know, a lack of urgency, a lack of drive, a lack of pace, uh, intensity to our performance, particularly on the ball. We made a change, brought Lacazette on for Patino. Odegar dropped into central midfield. I wonder if, you know... I thought maybe that was a change he could make at halftime, but it didn't make a great deal of difference when we made it at, whatever, 65, 70 minutes anyway. Mm.
1: Uh, Just an interesting point on that, by the way. You know, I spoke about Arteta being sort of visibly frustrated with players. Yeah. And it was, it was, I mean every possible expression of frustration that you can imagine.
0: You well, know, uh, yeah, every, every time every time the cameras were on him, he had like the face of thunder or he was shouting at someone or looking cross about
1: something, you know, so... But the, the point I was going to make was that um, Patino was the exception to that, right? as far as I could see. So I do think that there was a measure of understanding about the context within which he found himself and... Again, maybe that played into the decision not to remove him. I don't know. As well as the lack of alternatives.
0: Mm. So what about the Nottingham Forest goal? Um,
1: yeah. Uh, I, I, you'll have to remind... Is it Sambi who loses the ball yeah. in the field? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Sambi played the kind of Thomas Partey role within the midfield. He was the deeper of the two. Uh, well he was sort of on his own a lot of the time. Patino was playing pretty high, as Shaka mm. has been doing recently. And I thought that he struggled, Sambi. Um, he struggled to do much with the ball,
0: but I don't think he was particularly, um, what's the word, uh, careless with it or anything like that. I think he finished the game with 93% uh, pass accuracy. You mm. know, Um
1: that's pretty decent. I guess it depends what those passes are doing, you know. It's, yeah, it's- I know.
0: He didn't have a lot around to work with. Like, I think there was, you know, my, my. Uh, if I imagine him in this game, it's basically him just in front of the back four with Nottingham Forest players in front of him and not much around him to, to try and get the ball forward, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so it's his, concern. he plays a pass, it's cut out. Um, guy springs into the space behind Tierney. Holding is I mean, not good, is he?
0: He's not good. No. He doesn't even try and block the cross. Cedric is caught too high upfield when the ball is turned over. Yeah. Um, we're just
1: massively caught out. And, and as I said, I, I felt watching the game like that was a, a risk, you know, that they they are actually a strong counterattacking team. That's their style. And they nailed it on that one. And we were... Well, I, I, I'll be honest. My main emotion actually was sort of like, um, I wasn't that deflated when they scored. I was, I honestly was like, thank God, I would have to watch extra time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I have to be honest about that. I wasn't
0: looking forward to extra time and I don't think we necessarily needed extra time given what we've got coming up, but uh, you know, yeah,
1: I, I, yeah. I still
0: um, didn't like the goal
1: at all. Oh, listen, no, I wouldn't like no, no, to I, no, win no. the game. Of course. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just watching it again now. Cedric tries to get back, but he's never getting there, really, is he? Um, Maybe Ben White should have a bit more awareness of grabbing behind him. I don't know. It's a very good cross as well. It is a good ball in, to be fair. It is
0: a good ball in. It's a difficult one for the second central defender more than the first central defender, which is Holding. I think Holding should do more in his role when he's chasing down the man down the right-hand side you know, at least make some attempt to block the cross, which he doesn't do at
1: all. Um, it's yeah, poor, I, I poor guess, defending. I guess my point is when you when we give the position, possession away, where we do there on the pitch, mm. um, you're in trouble basically because Arsenal have got one, two, three, four, four men ahead of the ball. Cedric's up by the halfway line. Tierney's up by the halfway line. It's basically just holding him white behind the ball, yeah. and it's sort of two on two, and so yeah it's um it's a really silly way to get caught i I found arteta's post-match interview really confusing i have to be honest so we were the tell me uh, well normally it's zoom right but um Mm. because it's forest and in football league the rules are different we had a kind of uh, a post-game kind of huddle and he was asked about the performance and his reaction he said he's very disappointed and then he said not with the attitude he very clearly said not with the attitude mm, but, I noticed but then, that. yeah Yeah. and then he said um i'm gonna try and get up what he said because it was very pointed uh not with the not with the attitude but with how much purpose we have and determination to change the game
0: is that not tied with attitude
1: i mean that's what said. confused me i'll be honest and i was sort of scratching my head being like that's partly attitude and i've been thinking about it for Ever since, really, and trying to figure out what he meant, mm. and I think what he meant is like it wasn't the effort, but the intent. And I, I know what he means. It, it like our use of the ball was just pretty bad on the day, and even if there was effort there, I mean, I'm sure people would like to see more effort, but it was much more about quality and execution. It seemed to me, anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to know sometimes when a team is that looks that lethargic. You know what the real reason is, or why is it so different from the way we played? And look, clearly there are some personnel issues. There are some players missing, or players who would play who weren't there some players who are better than some of the players that we had out there last night who would make Mm. a difference. I think that's fair.
1: Oh, yeah, plenty.
0: But I go back to what I said earlier, that the players that we had out there should have been capable of more than we got from them. And look, you can have a bad half. You can go in at halftime. I think I said at halftime on Twitter, you know, he needs to get the hairdryer out a bit here. But if the manager can't elicit a performance or an improvement from his players based on what he's seen in the first half. Like, surely he was very clear about what the problem was at halftime. Like, he thought it was so bad he had to make a a change before the break, right? That's how much he he felt the team needed to change. So what was it at halftime that he instructed them to do differently that they just didn't do or couldn't do or wouldn't do, whatever way you want to put it? You know, it's it's a poor day for the collective, a poor day for certain individuals, but also I think a poor day for Mikel Arteta because, you know, we're um, hopeful, if we're being optimistic, we can talk about a top four challenge. Um, not if we play like that, but you know, I think we're hoping that maybe we get a couple of players in, maybe the AFCON players come back and we can just pick up and, and go between now and the end of the season. And if we finish top four, I think people will be delighted and rightly delighted about that because we'll be back in the Champions League, it's an improvement and all of that kind of stuff. However, I I, th- I find it frustrating that we have gone out of a competition which presents... A chance of silverware, a chance of a trophy, a chance of, you know, success. Um, I know people, some people will scoff at the FA Cup, but, you know, there are only three trophies for us to play for this season. The Premier League, we're not winning that. The Carabao Cup, we still have a chance, but the FA Cup was one that we should be taking seriously. And I don't think that the pursuit of top four, um, it's not an either or situation for me. It's not like, well, we're out of the FA Cup and now we can concentrate on the top four or we're still in the FA Cup. There's no way we can get into the top four because, you know, we're now uh, dealing with too many fixtures. I don't think it works like that. You know, I think the players, the manager, uh, I'm sure are all hugely disappointed about going out of this competition. Fans should be disappointed with the fact that we're out and the manner in which we've gone out. So The sort of post-game rationalization that, well, maybe it's not a bad thing for us to be out of the FA Cup because we won't have those extra games. I don't buy that at all. I think you want to win as many games as you can. Uh, You want to uh, build and create momentum. So all in all, I think it's one of the most disappointing days of the season so far.
1: Oh, Oh, I think it definitely is in terms of the quality of the performance. I think uh, I would love to be in the FA Cup. I'd love to be in the fourth round. I'd love to go far into the competition. Uh, I also think on the other side of the coin that it may not be the worst thing for for a squad that looks thin in certain areas to not have that competition. But that's not what I wanted, to be absolutely clear on that. I do think that as bad as the performance was... The reason I think it's worth discussing in isolation is I genuinely think when you look at the starting 11 that played, I think it has more parallels with the 11 that played against say, Brentford than it does the 11 that played against Manchester sure, City. Sure, I
0: agree with that, yeah.
1: You know, like for for Balogun making his debut, see Patino. Uh, you've got White, not with Gabriel in there with someone who's not at the same quality. Leno instead of Ramsdale. Cedric, you know, as we had Chambers at Brentford. Uh, no party, no Shaka, no Lacazette, no Aubameyang. I, I think, I think, it put some of these players back in this team, and the performance would have been markedly uh, improved. Mm. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I do think that this eleven was perfectly capable of beating Forest if they played to their potential, and they fell well short of that. The, the only other thing in terms of like the attitude that I wondered is, do you think? the rearrangement of the fixtures and the fact that we have this undoubtedly massive week ahead of us now with two Liverpool games and a Spurs game all tied together. Do you think that may have been in anybody's minds going into the game? I mean,
0: maybe, but it's the manager's job to focus them on the next game. And the next game, as he always says, is the most important game. Um, Yeah. So, like, if you're thinking about a week when you're going to play Liverpool and then you're going to play Spurs. I think that's perfectly normal. But if you want to play in those games, if you want to stake a, a claim for a place in the team, you know...
1: Well, I don't think anybody did that, no, really.
0: No. So that that's the other side of that. So
1: I wonder as well, by the way, just on the s- subject of this, obviously we don't have European football this season. And... I do wonder if that might contribute to some of the substandard performances we're seeing from the second string. You know, it's not like um, this back four have been playing every week in the Europa League and Mm. have built up an understanding, or it's not like they come into the game with a great deal of match sharpness. They are really cobbled together for this cup game. And I wonder if that was a factor too, because they were very disjointed. No, I I think it... I think it is. I mean, Sambi hasn't played much in the last few
0: weeks and you might question yeah. whether we could have given him some minutes here and there. Petino, you know, uh, as we've spoken about already, Nuno hasn't played a great deal in the last few no. weeks. Cedric. Cedric, quite rightly, hasn't played. Um, so, yeah, look, that is a factor. Eddie, another one who really hasn't played very much at all this season apart from the last couple of weeks. And even then it's been, you know, patchy um, little bits and pieces of football. Mm. So, yeah, I think... That obviously played a part, but it doesn't um, really excuse um, the performance. It it, it helps explain, but it doesn't excuse. It was very, very poor performance. It was very poor. All right. Let's leave it there for part one, movie. I'm sure we have questions that we can deal with. So um, hopefully
1: they're not about the game. That'd be good.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> scour Twitter and Discord for robot dog questions and see what see what we can find. Okay. Nice uh, all, <laughs> all right, we will take a break. We'll come back with more in part two right after this. Welcome back to part two of the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. James, would you like to go first? Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, let's go first. Thank Ooh, you very much for that. You're welcome. Amongst all- <laughs> so, this question is from MASK on the Discord. And they say, amongst all the crapness yesterday, it felt like there was one specific cog missing that caused the slow play. Who did we miss the most yesterday? And he says, I personally think it was Ramsdale uh, not hounding the team from the back. Mm. Um, I think probably Thomas Party,
0: based on I the way it. he's played for the last couple of weeks. And in that role, picking the ball up off the back for the ability to burst between the lines and thus... Um, you know, have Forrest turned around and running back the other way rather than, than sort of sitting in and just facing an Arsenal team that didn't have the the craft or the guile to open them up with with um, precision passing. I think Partey is, is the obvious one for me.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of... Uh, to be honest, there's a few you could choose. I've, I thought of Gabriel for his distribution. I thought of... Uh, party absolutely Shaka maybe in terms of his balance I think mm. I would say party. I just think the shortfall between what Thomas party is able to do when he's given the ball you know uh, with his facing his own goal with two markers on him and what Le Congre is currently able to do in that situation I think there is a gap there um, understandably given the players ages and experience uh, and I think that we we missed that his ability to bring those kind of vertical passes to our game so Mm. yeah it it, it was him and it might be him over the next few weeks yeah
0: Uh, okay here is uh, one from the Discord as well jmart91 who says do you worry that going out of the FA Cup this early may have an impact on our young squad going into another semi-final or could it give them the kick up the backside and determination to reach the energy energy drink final
1: I think um, hmm It's funny, isn't it? We, there is a general sense of optimism around the club. Uh, I think there is a big positive vibe, but, uh, and that continued despite the City defeat, but we have now lost two from two Mm. this year. The fixture list doesn't get any easier. Um, I don't think it will affect them dramatically. I'm optimistic it will be quite a different team. I think Arteta will go quite strong against Liverpool. Hmm. Um, Do you? I think so. I mean, we had a question here on Twitter from
0: Zach, um, who's at Gunnar 23 who says, assuming we don't sign a midfielder in the next week, how do you expect our midfield to line up for both Liverpool and Spurs? Um, Yeah, I I, I think he's going to go strong in both these games.
1: I think the fact that... Lacazette didn't start and Tierney didn't start Mm. for Forrest. The fact that Smith-Rowe and Tomiyasu were left at home, when I think, from what I hear, in a pinch they could have played, I think that tells you that he's really looking at these Liverpool and Spurs games and going to go, you know, obviously he'll go strong for Spurs, but I think Mm. he's going to go strong for Liverpool too. Um, On midfield? Midfield. I mean, I it mean, depends entirely on well, Shaka, if, if Granit Xhaka can do two negative tests on day six and day seven. I we we asked Arteta about that, and he said the thing he always says: you "Have to see how he evolves." Um, <laughs> but uh, we don't know what day he went down with it. You know, he was absent from training for a f- two or three days. I think he was absent from training on the Wednesday, so he's been he's been missing for a while. Um,
0: does so it, he has to have yeah.
1: a, a chance. Does does the...
0: I could be wrong and you might know better than me. Um, is there some difference between the isolation period if you're vaccinated and not vaccinated yeah. in the UK now?
1: I don't think so. I don't believe right. so. I thought there was, but I believe that the rules for vaccinated and unvaccinated people, and we don't know Granit Shacker's vaccination status um, at this point but are the same in that you have to provide a negative lateral flow test on day six and day seven to get out after seven days um, and and so on. You need mm. two consecutive days, negative tests, um, to be allowed back to work out of isolation. Mm. So that's what it will come down to, uh, I suspect. Uh, if, if you don't have Granite Shaka, I don't personally think – you can put Charlie Patino no. in the handfield? No, 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 no. I don't think that would be fair. Um, so then, I think you're 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 talking about rejigging it. I've got a question about that. So we'll come on to that in terms okay. of the the young squad. I don't think this game has to have a massive hangover. And if we have seen anything from this group, it is that um, ability to uh, kind of bounce back from relapses. That has uh, been quite characteristic of them. I mean, it's a very—it's—it's not—it's not a a cosy fixture. uh, Going to Anfield and hoping to do that, no, and then into a white-hot North London derby. Um, But yeah, there you go. Do you think it will have uh, repercussions? You'd like to think, yeah. I mean, you'd like to
0: think that they would respond in a positive way to being just so abject collectively and individually they will want to put it right for you know professional pride reasons if nothing else like you don't want to play like that away from home uh, in the premier league because you will get absolutely um yeah you'll get ruined if you play like that so uh, yeah it doesn't have to and it could be a a a situation where efforts are redoubled and everything else it's just that it it gives you this nagging doubt doesn't it in the back of your mind when they play yeah. like that it's like oh god i know we've been good and we've played well and then every so often there's a performance like this that just sort of chips away at some of the renewed confidence you feel so it's about how they respond i you know there's no reason why it should absolutely um, flatten them or anything like that. So
1: let's see how. They I, go. I think it'll. I think it maybe does more damage to our confidence than theirs. You know, a lot of it is. Yeah, maybe so. Narrative. Like we could play eight different players on Thursday and lose, and as fans, we'd probably go. Well, I think the the Sunday loss is part of that, but it, you know, it's very difficult for us to know um, what effect it actually has. Just on the midfield question, there was a question here about. Nick Kapra- from Nick Caprara not about Nick Caprara that would be a turn up for the books and he mentioned a player he said Callum Chambers started the season as first choice right back and has played defensive midfield before what has happened to a player who seemed to be a vital squad member where he now can't get on the pitch ahead of Kolasinac in the 90th minute
0: that is a very good question and that's actually something that I meant to talk about in the first part of the show the Kalasinac thing so I, we'll talk about that now in a second Chambers I'm not really sure um I think we've said this before, haven't we? That when you look at what Tommy Asu has done and how he does it, the next uh, the next obvious option in terms of right back is Callum Chambers because he kind of plays in the same way. He's the same physical profile. He is mm. a central defender, really, who could provide, you know, I, I think – a better option at right back than Cedric. But maybe there's something going on we don't know. Uh, you know, he's out of contract in the summer, although that doesn't seem to be an issue for Lacazette, for Enkedia at the moment. Um, I, I've got no idea what's happening there. As for Chambers in midfield, no. I don't think so, unless you've got absolutely nobody else for Thursday. If Xhaka isn't going to make it, for example, and you don't want to move Odegaard back, and, and you know, I think that would mean Lacazette maybe at the number 10 if Smith-Rowe isn't back. Um, you'd have to play Nketi or Balogun or somebody like that. But unless you're absolutely stuck, I don't see Chambers as a midfield option. He's never played in midfield for Arsenal, and I don't know why that would change going into a Carabao Cup, semi-final unless there was absolutely no other option available to the manager. So um, I think he might have, have different options. Can I come back to the Kalasinach thing though?
1: Yeah, sure. Just on the Chambers thing. um, Why? Yeah, I know you say like, unless we don't have other options, but is that not sort of the boat we're in? It might be. I mean, yeah, but maybe there are other ways of doing it. If Smith Rowe is available,
0: you could play, um, Odegar alongside Sambi with Smith Rowe ahead, Martinelli on the left, Saka on the right, and um, Lacazette up front. I guess, you know. Would See, you- yeah, it's
1: interesting. I, I I would probably rather Chambers than than no, that. Really? Yeah, wow. because I think the Why, task though? for the because I think the task for the first leg at Anfield. Given that all their players are miraculously back, <laughs> um, is to to very much be in the game. You know, coming back to the home leg, yeah. and I think going with Odegaard and Smith Rowe say alongside Conga I just have visions of us being absolutely monsters. Okay, but
0: field. but let me let me put this to you then. Mm-hmm. I put this to you, sir. Yeah. Um, we spoke about players who haven't played a great deal coming in oh, and yeah, being yeah, below yeah, par. Yeah. So, a, you're asking Callum Chambers to come in and play his first minute since fuck knows when. When's the last time yeah. Callum Chambers actually played?
1: He came on and scored, didn't he, in the League Cup? I think that might have been the last time, or maybe in the League Cup game after that he came on as well. I'm just going to look. He hadn't this up. started since the Man City game, I think.
0: Right. In so, August. Callum Chambers' last appearance was. In October, um, against Leeds, and yeah, it came on
1: scored, wasn't he?
0: Before that, he played in the the second round of the EFL Cup, um, which was in August, and then the last time he played in the Premier City. League was the Man City game on the eighth or twenty eighth of August. So, yeah. a you're asking a player who hasn't played to come in and then play out of position at Anfield. To me, that's much more... We'd, we're more likely to get monstered with Chambers in midfield, given those circumstances, than we are with slightly rejigging uh, the setup. Albeit, I, I acknowledge that maybe Odagar and Samby isn't quite the, the the physical partnership you might want in midfield. Mm. But I just think when you look at who's playing who's got the minutes, who's got the the match sharpness, the match fitness, I don't see any way that you can make a a case for Callum
1: Chambers. No, and I agree with that when you make the point about lack of minutes. I think that's true. I think I I more mean that in a squad where I'm not convinced by Cedric and we're so short on midfield options, I don't quite understand his complete exclusion. And if he had a few more minutes under his belt... I agree. It'd be something I'd be considering.
0: I agree. I'd much rather Chambers than Cedric at uh, right back, like by mm. some distance. And I know he's a bit flawed there, but um, you know, maybe it's a matter of personal taste or whatever. But but for me, I would prefer Chambers. Can I now come back to the Klasenach thing? You can now. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. What did you make of that substitution? Because I look, we're a goal down. There's four minutes left. You don't want to go out of the competition. Your options are relatively limited, but you've got a young striker on the bench in uh, Beereth. You've got Omari Hutchinson on the bench, a really tricky young winger. If the Kalasinac for Cedric substitution was a not-so-subtle message to the board to say, look at what I've got available to me when I'm in this position in a game... That, that that point could be made the very same way by just throwing on one of those young attacking players and you've got at least an outside chance, a very, very slim chance of them doing something, producing something. Do you remember a few years ago in the, in the Carabao Cup where I presume it was Arsene Wenger threw on a, a, a then extremely young Eddie Nketiah who mm-hmm. scored with his first touch from a corner? You know... Mm-hmm. why didn't he just have a go with one of those young attacking players rather than stick on Kalasinac, who's got no future here and could offer you nothing from an attacking sense? I I just do not get that that, uh, substitution at all.
1: It was a weird one. I mean, in the build-up to it, you could see Arteta looking at his bench um, and talking to his assistant and there was a lot of sort of head scratching and arm waving and uh, uh, uncertainty as to what to do. I think when they brought Kolasinac on, they actually switched the system. I think they went to three at the back at that point um, and played with wing backs to sort of match Forest up in that last five minutes. I mean, it didn't work at all. Uh, for whatever reason, Kalasnach is considered part, well, he's kind of considered part of the group at the present time. I mean, there was some thought given to him starting this game. Um, so yeah, I do find that odd, but it, mm. it, it's a it is a weird one. I sort of forget he still plays for us, and then there he is. Yeah, yeah, um, earning quite a lot of money. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, look, it is what it is. But just in the context of the game and and the the scoreline and what we needed to do, uh, needed to do. Excuse me, it just didn't make any real sense to me. Beyond it being like a look, here we are in this situation, and all I've got is Kolasinac. Where, whereas yeah, I think if you I throw like on a seventeen, like yeah, yeah, but if you d- throw on a seventeen-year-old winger who doesn't make any difference, it's the same message,
1: you know. Uh, true, I guess. I just think um, I, I don't think any of his options were great. Basically, beyond Tierney and Lacazette,
0: yeah, but he chose the worst one. <laughs> to, to my mind anyway he chose the worst yeah.
1: one but there we go yeah. uh,
0: is it my question or your question okay is it who is it I don't know I don't know either I had a question here that I wanted to ask you I've
1: got one here if you want go on Ben Lawton who's at Frere Xhaka. very nice Frere Xhaka 1 does the result yesterday change your thoughts on what needs to be the transfer priority um not really. Mm.
0: Um because I think it's a striker, to be honest.
1: I I still think that as well. I've actually taken a load of stick on Twitter. You won't believe it for oh, really? saying that this morning, but you? um <laughs> but I think um I I I still think that is the one. Yeah, if too. I had to choose, and you don't have to choose, no, but could, we if could you do did both. have
0: to, yeah, I, I you see, I, I, in the very short term, we're very, very light in central midfield. No two ways about it. Yeah. Um, however, you know, when when Partey is back from the Afcon, which is in a couple of weeks, all being well, he stays fit. The Partey jaka partnership. Uh, I know people have their issues with with Jacque or whatever, but you know, as a as a first team partnership. I think it's pretty good, not to say it can't be improved or anything like that, but then you've got Sambi in reserve, you've got um, Odagar who can play in there a little bit as well if you absolutely need to. It's still not as deep as I would like, um, and we don't have enough options, um, but I, I, I just do not see how we get top four without a striker. I don't see how we score the goals at key moments in big games, in important games, when when maybe we don't play well, we don't have enough goals, and we don't have a striker. I I just don't see any top four team that doesn't have a striker. And people will be saying, well, Manchester City don't have a striker striker. Yeah, but Manchester City have a hugely expensive assembled cast of some of the best players in the world. So their goals are spread around. We don't have that. We've got some promising young players and I like what Zach has been doing of late Martinelli, Smith Rowe, all of that kind of stuff. But if we're really, really serious about going for top four, about trying to hang on to this top four position or even consolidate that top four position. If you ask me right now, I would hang on the the couple of weeks with my fingernails waiting for Thomas Partey to get back and I would go with a striker. That would be my choice. Ideally, I think we need both, you know, but if if you're making me choose one or the other, And I'm talking about when we say one or the other, the right player in inverted commas, you know, not just any striker, not just any central midfielder, but we're talking about the right signing. For me, it would have to be a striker because we've got a lot to do between now and May to get into the top four and we don't score enough goals and we don't have enough threat up front on a consistent basis to do that. So for me, I would take a striker
1: yeah i i thought that before the game and um it doesn't change it for me Mm. we look the the funny thing is in the short term we look more desperate in midfield than in attack but between now and may i think the greater need is for a striker yeah i agree we we're already in the mess with the midfield situation. We're in the time where it's really tricky and the reality is we'll be out of it probably in a few weeks. It 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 won't be perfect, but it won't be nearly so bad. The striker situation is one that is you know, is ongoing. And I think that makes that the priority. Mm. I also think when you talk about midfield, you know, what are we talking about getting in if we could get a really quality player who could really be a sort of long-term contributor like what i don't want us to do is fall into the trap of like desperation signings mm. um i touched on this today in my piece but i haven't had a chance to read yet, when, so. well when you look back um we have made some sort of short-term emergency signings in january's in the past Kim Chelstrom uh, started one Premier League game. Mm. Dennis Suarez started no Premier League games. Cedric and Pablo Marie came in on loan in January, started three games apiece. Yeah. They, all of those signings have been incredible, long term, of no great benefit. And it's sort of an insurance policy, but it doesn't really do anything. And in some cases, you get lumbered with a player in the longer term that you don't really want. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I I don't, obviously you get exceptions like Martin Odegaard where he was available in January and it made loads of sense. If something like that comes up, of course you do it. But I don't think there's much to be gained from signing a a guy because the next few weeks look really tricky. I, 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 I think unless it's the right person, I agree. that's not worth it. I agree.
0: I agree. Um, uh, but they've got to have targets and they've got to have like it is the availability uh, availability of the the targets. You know, it's not yeah. like they don't know who they would want to bring in. It's just whether you can get them. I mean, if you can let's say do a I mean there was talk of Vinaldum on loan from PSG and I've got no clue as to how uh, credible that is or anything else, but just looking at that as the kind of short-term deal you could do right now, that would make some sense because you're not tying yourself into a four-year deal for a player as, as average as Cedric or Pablo Marie. You know what I mean? Mm. And this, I mm. think there's more to those deals when people look back at them and who was involved in them, you know, than meets the eye. But, you know, you're right to say that we cannot allow ourselves to, you know, to lose sight of the recruitment strategy, which has, for the most part, worked really well. Um yeah.
1: But I also- if, if there is a short term one that makes loads yeah. of sense, of course, I'm not crazy. I, I wouldn't yeah, yeah, um, yeah. not do it. I, and I, and what I hear about the midfield targets is that they absolutely do exist. And the problem they're having is they're not people that it's easy to convince clubs to part with. Mid season yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a good thing. You know, you don't want players that play, uh, people are generally happy to part with, but it, it presents an issue. The striker thing. In a way, I wonder if, like, it's as clear as this: we have to get a striker in January, or Aubameyang has to be yeah. welcome back into the group That's on his return. Exactly it. And we're very fortunate that we have that option as a fallback. I think.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we hope we have that option as a fallback, depending True. on quite how contentious it has been, or, or you know, whether any. Um, bridges have been built over the last few weeks, et cetera, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. like on paper, we had that option. I think you're right to say that if we cannot get a striker, we have to find a way to make peace, find some kind of truce, whatever it is, because, you know, he's not maybe the player he was, but he's still uh, a top-class striker on his day. Yeah. Those days are fewer and farther between than they used to be but you know what options do we have? Do people want to see Eddie there? I don't think so. Lacazette like I, I know does some good work but just does not score enough goals and doesn't take enough shots. Uh, Balagoon is going out on loan. Maybe we have Martinelli there um, as an option too but I think if they're looking, if they're serious they must know who they want in in the summer. There's probably everything is a risk. Everything's a calculated risk, but surely there is a benefit to trying to do what you want to do in the summer and doing it now in January. Again, it's tough to convince clubs to sell, but if it costs you a few extra million, that could come back to you in prize money from your final league position, from your champions league revenue. If you get in there, that's the gamble that you kind of have to take. And if that player isn't a short-term solution. If he's somebody that you think is the long-term solution for that position and a key, key position in this team and any team, if it's a few extra million, then maybe that's just what you've got to live with. And over Mm -hmm. the course of their contract, over the course of their career, it becomes less of an issue where you think, well, 5 million, 10 million is a lot now, but in four years' time, maybe that money looks absolutely money well spent. Maybe that's money you also recoup if the player is somebody who at some point moves on somewhere else. You know what I mean? I'm not saying buy to sell or anything like that, but there are reasons why you could make a very good case for pushing the boat out this this month to get the player that we need in that position.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And, And one thing Arteta says that I think is always right is that you have to try and use every window to uh, mm. improve the squad because you only get certain... There are Every window is an opportunity. You know, Arsenal did six signings last summer. They would have liked to have done eight or something. I think eight was mm. the number that they had in mind. But it's just not possible sometimes to do all the work you want to do in a window. And that's always going to be the case. So you've got to take every chance that you can to try and improve what you've got. Arteta's not had a window at arsenal where they haven't signed somebody. Yeah. And I think a lot of that does come from him and his desire to see the squad evolve. I think that's the right thing and I hope I hope that we will see something this window. Mm. I mean I'm sure they'll try. Um and I think it will probably pick up a bit towards the end. <clears throat> But, yeah, I, as for the very short term, you know, I've seen some people saying we need to get in a midfielder by Thursday or something like that. I mean, that's just not going to happen.
0: No, 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 no. I don't think so. Even if you sign someone today, you know, by the time they arrive, settle in, train, etc., etc., et It's just, you know, it ain't going to happen. Likely. Here's yeah. a question from the Discord from The Land. I like that. He says, does seeing Patino and Balagoon struggle in the recent cup games, seeing Aziz struggle to break into a mid-table league one side, ever make you think how unreal Saka is? And I think that (laughs) could be applied to Smith-Rowe as well.
1: Yeah, I I guess it does. I guess it does. I hadn't necessarily thought about it. I've become so accustomed to Saka excelling at senior level. And in fairness to him, it was pretty immediate. Like mm. he, was it his first start in Frankfurt? And he scored a great goal from yeah, outside the yeah, box.
0: Yeah. don't know if it was his first that,
1: start, yeah, but... Was there, it was a, a very early yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and then he had that run in the team as a left back. Was fantastic. Seems a long time ago now, but he was so good there that people were talking about that as his potential long-term position. Mm. Um He really did just hit the ground running. And I think, does it make me think about that? I think it makes me think more about the quality of under 23 football and the gap that exists between that and the Premier League. And I think someone like Saka and maybe Smith Rowe, although he did have Mm. loan spells along the way to help him in that development, I think they're the exception. I think that step up. Is, is very significant mm. and we're seeing that in some of these young
0: guys. Yeah, and I think you it also reminds you that career trajectories are not linear. Um, no. You know, that some players develop at a, a quicker uh, rate than others. Some players need to get into their early 20s before they hit their stride. Some players are blessed, you know, with the ability to come in and be at the level at an age where, like, they really have no right to be. You know, we're talking about the best talents, though, I think, you know, if you look back at some of the players who, who played at a really young age for us. I mean, Sesk is another one, obviously, when when you think about the impact mm, he definitely. had at the age he had, not to mention the team that he came into. Like he was going, he was holding his own with the best, some of the best players in our history, you know, at at 17. So it does speak a bit to the talent but also you have to you have to remember that players develop at different rates and also I just wonder and I don't think this is necessarily true of Arsenal fans but there is an element of expectation levels over young players being too high based on you know what we see on social media, based on a bit of buzz, you know, from under twenty-three games and all that kind of a stuff, and like you say, the step up is much bigger than people um, like to think. I think they they expect that if you can do this, playing against whatever. Wimbledon under 23s, you should be able to come in and do it against, you know, top teams in the Premier League. And it's just, it's not the case. I think Aziz is a really good case in point as well, where he's developing, he's learning, he's having to play against men. He's looked very good um, at youth level because he's playing against other young men. Um, it was like Balagoon on the opening day of the season you know you get battered around so um, yeah it's it's a reminder of how good Saga is how good Smith Rowe is Martinelli is you know to come in and do what they're doing at their age and let the others just develop at their own pace
1: yeah I completely agree with that alright um, have you got any more there because I've sort of Covered off most of mine.
0: Uh, okay, here's a couple. Uh, Smithy NZ on the Discord uh, says, many Arsenal fans are pontificating the possibility that we sign an opposition player who played well against us. Is <laughs> Jed Spence the next Danny Alves and worth pursuing, or is it merely an outcome of us having a shit day at the office with a very young team wearing a Spurs kit? <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) he played really well I I have to say actually when the game started I thought him and Nuno was going to be a really interesting battle because he was kind of Nuno like about six foot three very broadly built very powerful Um, he's there on loan from Middlesbrough and yeah the Forest fans loved his performance uh, he was excellent he really was excellent yeah. yeah he was really very very good um I don't know about him particular. I mean, why not? He's twenty one. Is someone worth thinking about? I do think that that area right back is something that's mm. surely going to be on the list in the summer in terms of getting someone who is a more adept backup for yeah. for Tommy Yasu.
0: Yeah, but but there is that thing. Guy has one game. Sign him. Bring him in. You know, <laughs> yeah. I do I do enjoy that. Um, there was something I was going to ask you there. What were we just talking about? Spence, Sloan. <laughs> God damn, you know, the kit. What did you make it? What do you think of the kit?
1: Uh, I've got to be careful because <laughs> separate the kit from the initiative. The initiative is amazing. The initiative is amazing. I, I just, I'm not a fan of Arsenal playing in white. I have yeah, to say that. I didn't really understand all the
0: oh my god, this is amazing. I, you know, I, I, I think the initiative and everything that goes into that is absolutely fantastic and I think the fact that we have raised awareness for such a good cause and uh, and all the rest of it is is brilliant but I just yeah. didn't I just didn't like the kit we looked like kind of ghosts or something arse bursey, ghosts well yeah it goes without saying
1: I mean, Roy Keane said they look like Real Madrid, but they're playing like a pub team. Um, I thought it was quite a good line on ITV. I, yeah, I, uh, I I love the campaign mm. and I thought the, it was brilliantly executed and um, the film Adidas made was great too. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing red and white again soon. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. what are we going to wear at Liverpool, mate? I love yellow. the blue kit. Oh, yellow. Yeah, could be. We should wear yellow. Should wear The Herminator on
0: the Discord says, Is it time to bin the Kieran Tierney long throw? Hardly any of the players seem up for it. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't. This is another one I don't really get. It's not really a
1: long throw, is it? It's the longest throw. It's the longest throw got. we're
0: capable of, but it's still not. It ain't fucking Rory Delap or anything like that.
1: No. No. Was there one against City where he. He went over to the right wing to do it. Yeah, maybe so,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: There was one recently where somebody did that, and I was like, oh, wow. Didn't realise it was that much of a thing. Um, It's not panning out for us at the present time. I mean, our set pieces have been quite good this year, as we know. Um, But long throw, still still room for work on that one.
0: Yeah. Whose throw was I looking at recently, and I was thinking, that is a mad technique. Was it Trent Alexander-Arnold?
1: I don't know. You've what, seen what the way he, he
0: throws the ball, he kind of, almost like, I don't know how to describe it, but he holds it in one hand, but then, one hand is to the side and one hand is kind of behind the ball, and he kind of shot puts it with b- both hands. It's a weird technique.
1: Well, they have uh, they've got Thomas a throwing coach. there. The throwing coach, mm. yeah. Maybe mm. that's part of it
0: final one for today uh, Jensen Armour or Jensen Armour at Jensen Armour on Twitter says what are your thoughts on Jurgen Klopp's comments on the many false positives that they had game probably should have been played bad due diligence from the EFL or economic with the truth from Liverpool
1: Uh, I suspect some eyebrows have been raised within (laughs) London Colony about about that one you think I mean (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they do happen. My wife lost a job to a false positive. It was very sad. She, Well, she got a part in a film and then they turn up on the doorstep to test her. And uh, it was one of those rapid flow tests that mm. came up positive. And we were like, hang on, that's weird. And we did like three more and they were negative. Um, but we have to take a lot your first of insurance answer. companies have to take the first answer. And I wonder if... The same occurs in football. What I would say is the incidents of those occurring are, as far as I understand it, relatively rare. So having a lot of false positives, I mean, it must have been a bad batch of tests. Mm. <laughs> it, it is a curious one, I have to say, and I think it, it's this lack of transparency that's an issue. Yeah. You know, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know how many player positive tests Liverpool had we still don't know could be 10 could be 2 and Mm. we're in the dark there as are Arsenal as far as I'm aware yeah what do you think
0: yeah I think it's dodgy as fuck (laughs) to be honest like one false positive okay can happen as you say but a number or a lot of false positives can we get some
1: of these false positives to get us through the next couple of weeks till Thomas party's back yeah and then we just have a game every two days it's perfect Perfect. maybe that's why Granite Shack has gone and got himself affected he's going to be a super spreader he's just going to go around games. licking Hug every other player <laughs>
0: <laughs> and on that beautiful image <laughs> mm. we will leave it there for uh, for this particular Arscast Extra thank you as always for being here I think we're going to do one on Friday aren't we after the, uh, yeah. the first leg of the Liverpool game so fingers crossed we have a goodlier morning than we did today uh, until then take it easy we'll be doing some stuff on Patreon in midweek of course Patreon. Until the next one, take it easy.
1: Bye-bye.